been at work or something not dissimilar to that. You see me rolling my I see. wheelchair. What? <laughs> I'm, I'm what are you <laughs> babbling about, child? You not heard that song? No. Okay. Do I want to? No. Good. Anyway, okay, are we ready? Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Are we ready to rumble? Oh, you're recording? Yes, well, I always like to record a bit of preamble first in case we say something inadvertently funny, as opposed to on the show where we try to be funny. Or it's all scripted. <laughs> it's all scripted. <laughs> oh, are we counting? Are we, you want to start today's episode or do you want me to do? You want to bring us in? And we're in. <laughs> That sounds like a porn film thing. <laughs> and we're in! Hey! Oh, blimey! Ride him! Ride him! Ride him, Ron Jeremy! Ride him! Oh, yes! Close up! Close up of the money shot! Oh, giggity! That's what we want! Oh, yes! And this is a child friendly show. Oh, yes, this is a child friendly show. I'll do it, should I? Yeah. As soon as you, you can't, your, your eyes are watering through laughing. <laughs> This briefing is from file A56-7W. Classified top secret subject is... H's Comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. Hello, lovely people, and welcome to another in our exceptional Night Quest season. That's not me saying that. Oh, no. That's other people saying that. Oh, I'm sure. Many, many other people, well, all right, one, have said that our Night's Quest season is exceptional. Okay. The, the best Night's Quest coverage there is. The best Night's Quest podcast out there, yes. <laughs> we may be the only Night's yeah. Quest podcast. <laughs> Certainly DC Comics don't care about this series, do they? <laughs> Judging by the lack of trade paperback material. Um, we got no preamble this week. We're going to do an email special when we've finished with Night's Quest. So, no okay. emails until... So, come on, write to us. Write to us, all you millions of downloaders and subscribers and whatever else there is. Embedded mm-hmm. listeners. And Even if it's to say I'm wrong, it'll make Dad have it. Yes. Well, you are wrong, frequently. Often wrong, we call you when you're not here. Do you? Yeah. That's your nickname, often wrong. When have you ever called me that? I just made it up. <laughs> But from now on, I'm going to call you off and wrong. <laughs> call me anything you like, just don't call me late for dinner. <laughs> Batman 505 came out on January the 11th, 1994, and was written by Doug Munch, with art by Mike Manley and Bob Wyakek. Wyasek. Wyakek. Wyasek. That'll do. I like that. <laughs> Adrienne Roy coloured. Ken Brusenak lettered. And editing was done by Jordan B. Gorfinkel and Denny O'Neill. Batman, as ever, the same as it ever was, to quote David Byrne, was created by Bob Kane. The story is called Blood Kin. The cover is a slightly weird one. More an old EC horror-esque cover 
than a superhero one. An axe-wielding weirdo with exceptionally long blonde Farrahur stands over a prone Batman ready to strike. And Batman looks really small. Does he? He does. He looks a bit he looks out of tiny. And, and, and the bad guy is a little too excited. Yeah. Um, well, I don't want to keep saying the same things about Kelly Jones's covers, so anatomy, little hands, blah, blah. But with those caveats, it's, it's a pretty decent cover. Yeah, the, the bad guy's a bit long in the crotchal area, but he may just be wearing high pants. Okay. Maybe he's just not bought a pair of pants this decade. And so the the riding Kelly Jones draws draw small hands, but he makes up for it elsewhere. Yeah, he makes up for it in other places, especially with Catwoman. Um, I think it's a pretty decent cover, to be honest with you. It's intriguing and well-coloured and follows the same pattern as before with Kelly Jones' stuff. You either like it or you don't. That's pretty much all we can say about Kelly Jones at this point, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So the story begins. While investigating a particularly grisly murder, the Batman is assailed by the voices in his head. One, his father, berates him for following the mantle of a pretender, whilst the other, Saint Dumas, congratulates Jean-Paul for rejecting the order. After a fierce battle, Saint Dumas vanquishes Jean-Paul's father, making the Batman believe he's following the correct path. All this insanity makes Jean-Paul nearly get caught by the police, and he grabs an envelope with the name of the dead family on it and takes his leave. Jean-Paul heads back to the cave and decides he's been rejecting too much of Bruce Wayne's legacy, concentrating only on the bat. He decides to try and follow Bruce rather than his father, and uses some computer skills to research the name of the deceased family. He finds a cousin, Arnold Etchison, aka Abattoir, and decides to check him out. When an entire family is murdered, normally family are involved, especially when Abattoir is a noted serial killer. Jean-Paul tracks Abattoir down to the family crypt, and, finding bones of the victims, decides that maybe Bruce's methods aren't a complete waste of time after all. The last surviving member of the Etchison family, Graham, Etchison is hosting a charity dinner outings for orphans. As he himself was an orphan, as was Bruce Wayne, who should have been in attendance. Tomorrow he will take a number of orphans, a number of orphans, a number of awesome orphans. That's a good name for him, isn't it? The awesome orphans. Yeah, I like that. On the way to some rad dads. Yes. <laughs> Tomorrow, he will take a number of orphans out on a camping trip thanks to the generous donations of the attendees. Abattoir is, of course, on his trail. He finds the bus driver scheduled to drive the kids, and Abattoir slays him before taking his place. With the kids on the bus and the snow falling, Batman tracks them down and rips Abattoir from the bus, but the snow and the sudden lack of a driver causes the bus to skid and crash over a ravine. Hanging all Italian job style over the cliffside, Abattoir makes his escape as Batman secures the kids. Jean-Paul acknowledges that this is how Bruce would have handled it, but not maybe how he should have handled it. Evil needs to be punished. What do you think of that one, Michael? Well, from your extensive notes that I can see before me. Is this an extensive note I see before me? Well, I thought it was a decent issue. Really? Until it turned into a sitcom inside a crazy man's head. Yeah, but it turned into a sitcom with a crazy man's head on page two, yeah. (laughs) So so you thought that the splash page was a decent issue? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Who am I to argue with this? Silly. What did you think was silly about it? Well, the fact that he's got a ghost in his head he's dad and another ghost and they both start bickering. Jean-Paul's and, uh, a nut job. But it, it's, it's boring for me. Really? Hmm? See, I didn't think this one was too bad, to be honest with you. I think it's going to get worse. Yeah. Anyway. 
Well, by the time I put it down, I didn't know what I'd just read. Batman, the Hellblazer Family Man story, or Dirty Harry. It was just an issue that started dumb and then went much dumber by the time it ended. Why did you think... I'm interested in why you thought that. Why did you think this one was dumb? Because it was just plain silly and... Abattoir is very Scorpio. And the ending, I think I've mentioned this in my notes somewhere as we go along, the ending is very Dirty Harry. Um, so much so that I expected him to start singing Row, Row, Row Your Boat at the end. You want to go to the ice cream factory tell ice cream's made? I want my movie shop, kid! Sing, damn you, sing! Yeah, I did expect yeah. Andy Robinson to show up at any minute and start squealing at the children that he was going to put a bullet through their brain. <laughs> but I didn't think it was as awful as you thought it was, to be honest with you. I mean, page one goes into great details about the death of the Etchinson family. Like you say, it does read very much like a Dirty Harry movie or something similar to Death Wish. It goes into quite gruesome detail as to what happened to the Etchinson family. And page five does show that Jean-Paul is human after all by having him be sickened by the sight of all the blood and wondering how Bruce dealt with stuff like this. I thought the first couple of pages were quite a good scene and a decent introduction to the main thrust of the story. Jean-Paul questioning if St. Damas is the way and the way of the system is the correct approach or if Bruce Wayne's methods have some merit. It was an alright first couple of pages if you like Coronation Street. What's Coronation Street got to do with the first couple of pages? Like I said, it's a badly written sitcom. No, see, no. Jean-Paul's on the fence and this will play out over the next couple of issues of Batman, but I didn't think this was a badly written sitcom. It gets much worse. I think you're confusing it with the two issues that follow this. No, 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 it's all just one big blur in my head. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. I mean, it does. it is all balanced out on page two to four where Jean-Paul essentially cracks up mm. and listens to the voices in his head. <laughs> it, it does seem like he's turning into Jack Torrance. Red rum. Red rum. You never watch The Shining? No. Have you never seen that? No. You should watch The Shining. Okay. You'd like The Shining. There's, there's a history in fiction of the Knight Templar character who carries out idiot, hideous acts for what he perceives to be the greater good. And certainly Jean-Paul's on borderline for his hideous acts. Um, by contrast, Albertois just gross. Mm-hmm. He, spends, he spends most of page five licking the bones of the people he's just killed. So I don't know what you're Maybe reading hungry. that you think this is a sitcom. <laughs> I, I do. I do think you've read all these together, didn't you? And I think you're confusing the next two issues with this one. Nope. Um, Jean-Paul now looks nothing like John Lennon wannabe that he was in Sword of Azrael. In fact, it looks like he's put a bit of muscle weight on. I mean, I presume that's understandable given all the exercise he does, but he doesn't seem to eat a lot. Didn't he put a lot of muscle on right after... Sword of Azrael. He may have He's done. just this skinny guy, and the next we see him, he's just a big, muscly yeah, he is, back guy. Yeah, he is quite muscular all of a sudden. Um, the, the Orphan's Dinner, I quite liked the scene at the Orphan's Dinner because we saw Leslie Tompkins again, and she mentions Bruce being incapacitated. Now, I'm slightly confused here with my crises in that does Leslie Com- Tompkins know he's Batman here, or was that a casualty of Crisis on Infinite Earths? I don't know. Because she knows he's Batman in No Man's Land, doesn't she? Does she? Um, I think so. I've never read it. No man's I'm all the way sure through. Leslie Tompkins knows 
He's Batman in No Man's Land. I got up to the second graphic novel and someone sold them all. Yeah, but I've got them all back, so you can read them again. Uh, as we've said, the bit at the end, the entire last part of this issue, uh, where Abattoir terrorises a busload of school kids, is straight out of Dirty Harry. Um, it's then followed up with a homage to the Italian job, the Michael Caine classic original, not the terrible US remake, with the bust hanging over the edge of the cliff, which is always amusing. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've got an idea. That was my Michael Caine impression. It was very good. Did you like that? Mm. No, I didn't. I, I, thought didn't. He, I thought he was right next to me. <laughs> he thought he was in the room. <laughs> oh, dear me. Um, Batman may be trying to be Bruce Wayne at this point, but um, there's no page numbers. Um, but pulling Abattoir from the driver's seat while the bus is traversing a narrow winding road on a cliffside is a textbook example of dumb. Mm. in my opinion uh, and the issue ends with Jean-Paul giving himself over to the system once again and redesigning the cape he was to make it more of an offensive weapon so once again an issue ends with him doodling doodling yes the next issue says that it's ballistic but it says that exactly the same thing in the next issue of Batman does it? yeah next issue ballistic Oh, okay. So they kind of made a mistake, though. In the sense that Ballistic is in Next Issue, but the next issue isn't called Ballistic. Okay. Whereas after the next issue of Batman, the next issue is called Ballistic. Does that make sense? Yeah. I enjoyed this one. I thought this was an interesting issue, following Jean-Paul and the way of the bat. And this was one of the few Night's Quest storylines to make it into Daniel O'Neill's novel. The whole abattoir thing is in the novel and in the radio adaptation. Um, I enjoyed this. I completely disagree with you. I thought this was my favourite issue with Batman so far. I liked this one a great deal, which makes okay. the subsequent follow-ups very, very disappointing. They were very. They were, yes. Maybe Mench was just waiting for Jean-Paul to go back crazy before he pulled out all the stops. But this was a good one. I, I liked it for all the reasons that you didn't. I think I'd go back crazy if I have to live this. No, I, I thought this was good. This was very much Batman versus crazy psycho killers rather than superheroes which seems to be what Doug Mensch specialises in he specialises in putting Batman up against the scum of the earth not supervillain scum of the earth Chuck Dixon's doing all that over in Detective Comics yeah. and doing it very well so Mensch is doing something different here speaking of cracking up the first page, the inside cover of this issue, Hal Jordan is about to go all parrot on your lax in an ad for Green Lantern issue 50. He's going to snizzle your He's going to snizzle your izzle on sale January 1994. Not read it, but I, I do have a plan of picking up all those issues of Green Lantern at some point because I do want I, to I read have, them. I can't find 50 of, yeah, 51. I do plan to. 49 and 50. Have you got 49 and 50? No, those are the ones you can't find anyone. Right, I'm sure they'll show up somewhere. Although Dan DiDio doesn't like that story, so it's never going to be repeated. Well, it doesn't have to, because in every Jeff Jones Green Lantern issue, he always says he was Parallax. Uh, no, but I'd rather read it myself. Uh, Guy Gardner turns into a warrior, seemingly without his ring. I don't know what all that was about. He's got his ring. Has he? Just a different ring. He's not got a Green Lantern ring. He's got ring. a yellow ring that isn't a Sinestro Corps ring. Well, was this before the Sinestro Corps? Yes, Sinestro Corps was 2006, I think. Right, so, so the Sinestro Corps didn't exist at this point, did it now? Nope. But Guy Gardner, Warrior, did. Yeah, he's got a yellow... It doesn't look like a Green Lantern, Yellow Lantern ring at all. Wasn't Warrior where he got infected with this alien thing and turned into an alien? I have no clue. 
I can honestly say I did not read it. Because so Zero no. Hour as Warrior, and then he turns into Warrior and Green Lantern Rebirth, but never again. Right. Okay. I'll take your word for it. Uh, Mike Mignola's artwork plugs Justice League Quarterly number 14, <laughs> and really doesn't suit the look of that boot, does he? I mean, Captain Atom looks really top-heavy, doesn't he? And he's got really thinner legs. Yeah, he's got really skinny legs and a really top-heavy body. He looks like one of those kids from dusty countries who haven't eaten much, so all the body's swollen. Okay. To quote Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> One of the photos of the kids from Dusty Countries, but not as funny. Do you not remember that one? Oh. Oh, that was quite amusing. We're promised a major turning point in the life of the Batman in a reformatted advert from the cover of Shadow of the Bat 25. Now he's really ready to do some damage, apparently, because the implausibly spiky gloves of death weren't ready to do damage prior to that. Now they're bigger. Yeah. They're and they've got laser sighting. Yeah. That's, no, that's just cool. They're on fire uh, well. They're on fire. Star Trek, oh, can the hyperbole. Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation gets a trade paperback of various trade issues. Trade of DVDs? Not of DVDs, no. Uh, no of comic no, books. Yeah. One of which was written by John DeLance, I notice. Who? Q. Okay. I don't know if that makes it any good. I don't recall if I've read it or not. Uh, Sandman gets some trading cards. You're not interested in them, are you? No. No, okay. Uh, Sylvester Sloan makes another decent film that doesn't have a five-letter name that begins with R. In and out for cliffhanger. And the hot comics ads just really aren't very cool this time around, are they? No, they're all one dollar and two dollar books. Nothing nothing of interest I though. I don't get it. What? Five letter name gives Rocky, Rambo. Oh right. I suppose you could count Cobra. It's got an R in it, I suppose. I suppose you could have called him Robra. <laughs> Roba. I'm the disease. I'm the cure. Robka. Yes. <laughs> Sylvester Sloan is Cobra Cop. <laughs> I don't think that works, does it? Uh, Shadow of the Bat 25 picks up the story. It has an excellent cover by Brian Stelfreeze of Batman in his newly redesigned armour. Uh, it's an exceptionally good cover, isn't it? I like that cover, yeah. yeah it's got gorgeous colouring, particularly the purple night sky. I love that. It's really good. And the silver ink adds to the look of the page because there's this silver ink on it that borders the page for some reason. Issue 25 is considered a, a special issue. If you hold it up to the light, this looks really good because the shadow of the bat logo is in silver as well. The purple sky, as I've already said, is excellent because it's got purple lightning on it. And uh, he's added a helmet to his suit and laser sightings to the implausibly well, spiky gloves of death. We all know what purple lightning means. What does that mean, Michael? I think it means bad things. Does it? It's been a while since I watched Ben 10. Oh, right. <laughs> Because well, a crisis was a red sky, wasn't it? Yeah. If there's a red sky, there's a crisis. Oh, yeah, in Final Crisis, everything's red. Yeah. Fair Can't see through all the red. None more red. Uh, this came out on 18th of January 1994. You, you've not watched enough Spinal Tap. No. No. Uh, and was called Joe Public, The Birth of a Hero. It was written by Alan Grant, with art by Brett Blevins and John Beatty. Adrienne Roy was again the colourist, and other than Bob Kay, no one else gets credited apart from Brian Stelfreeze, because he did the cover. Uh, the story for this one begins with Deke Mitchell, the corrosive man, in his specially constructed cell in Gotham's Blackgate prison, so he's obviously not considered criminally insane. He's kept in a special alkali spray. Alkali? Alkali? How do you pronounce that? Arcala? But he's figured out if he keeps his hand under his armpit, he can get it to dry long enough to make it corrosive and burn the shower head that sprays the alkali into the room. With the spray neutralised, the corrosive man's entire body burns once more and he breaks free. Across Gotham, former PE teacher Joe Public, and can I just say, 
if you're going to have a superhero who's a former teacher, you'd want them to be a PE teacher, wouldn't you? Because <laughs> let's be honest, those that can do, those that can't do teach, but those that can't teach, teach PE. Uh. Given powers in the Bloodlines crossover was Joe Public. Mm, Yoda, I turned into a fresh second there. Yes. And this makes him into a Captain America wannabe. He stops a gaggle of goons from mugging a man, only for Batman to show up and point out that the victim is actually a drugs runner for a rival gang, which was why the demons jumped him in the first place. Demons with a Z. This is the 90s. God, you stole, you stole one of my notes. Did I? Well, oh, and you don't have too many of them. He tells Joe maybe he better quit before he's hurt, but takes off after hearing the corrosive man's escape on Joe's police radio. After a large McFightenstein, the corrosive man hands Batman his cowl and cape and large parts of his armour, as his suit is no match for the acidic qualities of the corrosive man's skin. Of course, Batman Mark II has no idea who the corrosive man is, so Joe Public conveniently fills him in on his background. Corrosive Man wants revenge on Mort Cadaver for cause, which is a brilliant name, for causing the accident that caused him to be like this. The Batman tracks him to the hospital where Cadaver is dying of a brain tumour. Initially, the Batman believes he's just going to walk into the hospital, but instead, Corrosive Man is going to blow up the gas storage tank behind the hospital. Overkill? Or just enough kill? Batman finds piles of builder's sand and thinks that he could dump it on the corrosive man. It may cool him down long enough to put him down. Joe Public, however, is trying that himself and failing miserably, but Batman swoops in and once again is beaten handily, with corrosive man nearly destroying his armour. Batman convinces Joe Public to use his power to absorb corrosive man's abilities and, with this done, the Batman dumps the container of sand upon him. Joe lets the power go and corrosive man starts burning up again, but contained in a quarter tonne of sand, there's little he can do. Batman tells Joe to quit and heads home. His armour in tatters, the sister helps him redesign the suit once more, and the issue ends once again with him doodling. Actually, it doesn't. He doodles just prior to the last page where we get a nice two-page splash of Batman's new armour. Don't we? Oh, you've got notes for this one. I like this. Yes, very good. Um, Page nine and ten. Yes. Um, Now, for a minute, Yes. I thought this issue was going to be one of those pilots within another TV show and then the further I read it it turned out it was one of those <laughs> yes you weren't you weren't upset by that uh, yeah well yes you're right it is like that episode of Star Trek where Gary Seven's in it more than the crew of the Enterprise or that episode of Magnum that yeah that episode of the Hulk that was all about the the police the what, martial arts yeah. detective yes the martial arts detective yeah um, they're crap aren't they <laughs> they never work if they were a good enough concept to make a TV show then surely you should just make a TV show about them. I'm tuning into Magnum P.I. to watch Magnum P.I., not to watch the guy who used to be Colonel Lynch in the A-Team. I'm not interested in him at all. And yeah, Well, Joe Public was one of those characters who span out of bloodlines. Never to be seen again. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Apart from Hitman, who was, was anyone else seen again? No, pretty much not. Pretty much only Hitman okay. actually took. Fair enough. Ferdinkham. Um, page 17. Yes. This Joe Public guy. Yes. It's kind of like that annoying kid in TV shows where <laughs> people, like, want to play... Oliver. Like, people want to play a game and this kid's all left alone because he wets himself or something. So, so they let him play and everyone, everyone's playing happy, but he messes up and gets in the way and then no one likes him after that. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's exactly like that. Yeah. Yes, very good. And, um, toy companies would love Gene <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, because you could so market homicidal nutjob Batman at pre-teens, couldn't you? <laughs> you got an Azrael one, you've yes. got your Batman, you've got your Battle Damage, you've got your Mark Three Batman, your other Batman, your other ba- you got a red Batman, you've got Batman, a Batman with helmet, kit, Batman with removable killing gloves. Bat train! <laughs> I would so have a bat train toy. Comes with removable passenger seat. Oh, you could get like a Buzz Lightyear. You could have an Azrael Batman. And his hand, you press his hand and the laser sight comes up. <laughs> you are a sad, pathetic little man. And instead of that, you could have him. By the order of Sadumas, I will kill you! Swear to Transgressor! Yes, swear to me! <laughs> oh, what a range of action toys we just come up with. See, Dandy Dio, by not liking this storyline, is missing a treat, isn't he? What a divot. Um... <coughs> I mentioned apparently 25 issues considered an anniversary now. Mm. I don't know why that would be. Uh, Joe Public first appeared in Shadow of the Bat's annual number one, which I've read. It's alright. It's not a must read. Um, he has the ability to absorb strength and energy from people around him. A bit like the Parasite, I suppose. He wasn't overly popular, making a total of seven appearances. Okay. Before languishing in obscurity. Only seven. Only Was that seven. all in the pages of this issue of Shadow of the Bat? Yeah, yeah, we can't see individual pages <laughs> as his appearance. Well, come on, let's be honest. A comic book about a PE teacher turned vigilante. It's probably not a must read, is it? Not really. No. When, when Duty Cordy goes out to throw balls at a monster. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one weapon in his arsenal. He's thrown dodgeball. <laughs> Bad guys. <laughs> oh, God, me. Uh, the corrosive man, a molten man esque bad guy, likewise proved to be not to be as durable, appearing in a few issues of detective comments before this and very little afterwards. So if you've never heard of him, I wouldn't feel too bad. I, I, I quite liked him. What, the corrosive man? Did you not just think he was a molten man knockoff? In many ways. I, I don't know Molten Man, really. You don't read enough Spider-Man. Oh, I, I, I know who he is, but yeah. I've only read, like, one issue with him. Oh, fair enough. Page 9. It's not exactly the Expositional News Network, copyright Michael Bailey, TM, all rights reserved, but it's damn close. Joe Public carries a police radio that squawks out the news that the corrosive man has escaped just in time for the Batman to get involved before the issue finishes. So he's Spider-Man now? Yes. With his police scanner. Did Spider-Man have a police scanner? I don't remember the police Spider-Man. Oh, he did. He doesn't have films. (laughs) I don't know who that Spider-Man is in the film, but he's not the proper Spider-Man. Sorry. Mort Cadaver is a brilliant name. Mort is the note made by a hunting horn when a deer dies, and it's been corrupted over the years to just mean dead. It's a novel by Terry Pratchett. Uh, And a cadaver is a dead body. So his name basically translates to dead, dead body. (laughs) I know, it was extra genius. dead. Extra, extra crispy dead body. Not coming back to zombie this one. <laughs> um, as you can probably see by the amount of piss takery going on, I don't really have a great deal to say about this one. It was no means bad. And there were some nice insights into the corrosive man's physical state and how much pain it causes him. But this, it felt like a filler, this one, didn't it? Yeah, I, I quite like Shadow of the Bat. Yeah, it's, uh, as, I, as, I, as I said last week, a bad in air quotes, issue of Shadow of the Bat is normally better than a good issue of Batman. Yeah. Isn't it? I'd be happy if we turn into a Shadow of the Bat podcast. I'll get you all my issues of Shadow of the Bat. It is damn good. Um, it does, it does, it's marking time whilst the Batman book handles the major upcoming change in the status quo. It doesn't help that both this issue and Batman 505 have essentially the same ending. 
with Jean-Paul redesigning the suit. Um, also hindering this book are the characters. I've mentioned before how one note I find Jean-Paul. Uh, a device I do think more and more as we read more and more of these issues is an intentional commentary on the comic book characters of the time. And Grant and Chuck Dixon normally do a good job of populating these stories with other better characters around Batman to hide the fact that Jean-Paul's Batman is as dull as dishwater. But the corrosive man is a bit boring. And Joe Publix are dullard as well, isn't he? God, he's a big stiff. He's I, I every bit. HPE, but, but I got bit by an alien. Yeah. Now I'm a Captain America. I mean, no, no, yeah, no I'm, I'm not a- Captain America. That's another company. <laughs> no, he's a he's a big stiff. Um, Brett Blevins returns to the arts, which I'm sorry I don't like as much as Vince Giano, which is odd given they both have a similar style. The final two-page splash, though is tilted on its side so it's two pages but one splash page which we've talked about before being quite an effective storytelling technique when it's used properly it's um the batman resplendent in his new armor it's a pretty decent piece of work that isn't it batman being written by stan lee i don't like his armor change it yeah yeah, I, I can see that. And he stood posing on a gargoyle about it's raining and there's lightning in the background, which is always an yeah, effective he, he has, way. He has a rain and lightning machine he carries with him. very top heavy. That's why his armor's so bulky. Yeah. He's got a lightning and rain machine to make him look cool. <laughs> what an awesome... And there's another action figure! <laughs> Stormy Night Batman <laughs> Poser Man <laughs> Oh you know though that when kids open these toys they're gonna have to all get sent back because they just keep cutting the hands <laughs> on his gloves <laughs> Unless they do what they used to do with the Butt Rogers toys. Turn them into plastic? No no the, the fronts of the Butt Rogers spaceships were two points, do you remember? But, they but the toys they connect them together yeah. so kids didn't stab them. You know what I did with them? What? I cut them off. I've still got one of them where it's still on. Yeah, the little one. But the big one I used to have, I cut that off. I got my granddad's little hacksaw and hacked it off. This is bollocks. I'm not having none of this. Um, no letters page this month in Shadow of the Bat, which allows for extra ads. Although there are no really cool adverts. Um, there's an advert for the movie Blue Chips, which apparently is a basketball movie starring Shaquille O'Neal and Nick I th- Nolte. I thought it was about rotten chips. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> I- I've never heard of it, but Al Bundy's in it. Who? Al Bundy, Ed O'Neill. Al Bundy? No. No, not Kelly Bundy? No. Buddha Bundy? No. Peggy Bundy? No. Peggy Wanker? <laughs> From Wanker County? <laughs> That's a true story, that. In Married with Children, Peggy Bundy's maiden name was Wanker. Okay. Because I presume that the producers knew what it meant, but knew that 99% of middle America wouldn't know what a wanker was. Okay. So when it got shown over here, it was hysterical. It was like when Marge Simpson keeps referring to a fanny pack. <laughs> And that gets shown over here at six o'clock. Yeah. They don't dub it or anything. It's, it's quite amusing. Fanny means Bert over in the States. Yes, it means it means front bottom over here, American <laughs> listeners. Um, the Superman graphic novel Under a Yellow Sun, which I've never read, but has Kerry Gamble art, so I may need to find a copy. And Guy Gardner Warrior has had an extremely 90s-esque makeover. Really? It, it's hard to describe just how 90s this makeover is. He couldn't look more 90s if he was wearing high-waisted stonewashed jeans, an overly large colourful suit jacket and had a floppy fringe curtains haircut while listening to Nirvana on his Walkman. Have you seen that armour? I'm looking at it now. What do you think of that? 
Dead how space. Does he, how does he put it on? How does he put it on? How does he take it off? How does he go for a pee? How do, yeah, how does he go to the toilet? How does he do anything in that? What is that armour? <laughs> it, it makes no sense. It's... It, no, it's that just... That being said, how does steel move his mouth? It's ridiculous. Uh, the Flash fights the Dark Stars. There's a new girl in town, spelt with lots of R's, according to this, with a, a book called Anima, which I've never heard of. Uh-huh. Have you? Yes. Is it good? Not read it. Oh, fair enough. Um, and Bizarro I'm back in the Superman books, which is always good for a few Bizarro, laps. Bizarro no spell. Bizarro no spell. <laughs> Best of all is the back page, which is an advert for the TV series Babylon 5, which for four years was an exceptionally good science fiction television show. Shame it ran for five. Ooh. Pithy. It should have suffered from the Straczynski curse. Which was? Not finishing. In many ways, I wish it hadn't. Okay. Because the fifth series was just so uniformly <laughs> bad after four series of, wow, this is really quite well, no, good. Maybe he did that to teach you all lessons. Because he knew that he wouldn't finish superior, Supreme Power or any of that. And he thought you were He's all finishing gonna... 12. Yeah. Finally. So, so he thought you were all going to whine at him. So he said, right, right, if I ever finish something, it'll turn into Babylon 5. <laughs> yeah, so very early in his career, he's already setting you up for the fact that yeah. if he does finish it, the engine will be Yeah. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, Batman 506, to move swiftly on, because we are not a Babylon 5 podcast. Is there a Babylon 5 podcast? Probably. Mm, probably, yeah. Batman 506 came out on the 8th of February 1994 and was by all the usual suspects who did Batman 505, which I just mentioned, except Joe Rubenstein, who's back as Inca. The cover, by Kelly Jones again, is a generic action shot of Batman standing on top of a chimney stack with lightning in the background. In many ways, similar to the last two pages and the cover of Shadow of the Bat 25. I think they're running out of ideas. Uh, I, really, I really like that cover. Did you like that one? It looks it's... like he's got chicken feet. <laughs> chicken feet. Uh, this Batman is very much demon from heaven, as opposed to angel from hell, possessing large shoulders that look like he's got a coat hanger stuck in his cape and glowing red eyes. Superman's going to show up in a minute and tell him to knock off stealing his shtick. It's not a bad cover in and of itself, and contextually I probably would have been a bit kind to this, but after a decade of pretty poster covers that have little to nothing to do with the interior, it's just a bit dull, isn't it? Go on then, what did you like about it? It, it I quite like Batman looking all shadow. Well, I like not looking at Batman because he's hidden shadow. Do you prefer Batman as demon from heaven as opposed to angel from hell? Yeah. Okay, fair See, you, you don't like him being all shadowy and I do. stuff, but you, you prefer he's straight out detective punch you in the face. No, I don't. I like him being shadowy and not... I like it in Arkham City where you can take people down without being seen. That to me is Batman. Well, yeah, but there's a bit of me that likes you. you so you know, that animated Batman film, the little shorts, which were Gotham yeah, Knights the, the that one, I thought was crap. The one where he was kind of like a demon and hidden shadows and jumped out as a monster, and you say you didn't like it. No, I didn't like Demon Knights because I didn't like the art. I didn't like the animation. Fair enough. You're more manga boy though, because yeah. you're of that age group, so it probably appealed more to you. To me, they've still not beat Mask of the Phantasm or Return of the Joker. Although we've still not watched Batman Year One, have we? No. Although you're never in. No. And every time I think I'll watch it, oh, Michael, so if I watch this without it. No, it's alright. I saw the first few minutes that you saw and I thought the voice actor was stiff. Did you? Mm. Well, I'll, I'll give it a go. The story to this one is entitled Malevolent Maniacs. Maniacs spelt M-A-N-I-A-X-E. 
bizarro no spell. Nineties, yes. As Batman sails across town in his new duds, Henry Etchison, father of Graham from last issue, was he not an orphan? Yeah. Hence him running an orphan's charity. There's another mistake in this, I noticed. Is that a mistake, or did I miss something in Batman Five O Five? It's a mistake. Oh, okay. There's a bit later he says um, Abattoir's still on the run because um, I-, I couldn't get him or I wasn't good enough. Where if you actually go back to the issue, he, he jumps off and Batman goes, he's on the train, won't get far, I'll go back to him later. And rescue the kids. Yeah. yeah fair enough. Henry Etchison puts a contract out on his cousin's life via his lawyer Winston Bock due to his threatening of Gotham, his cousin being Abattoir. Not for any noble reason, you understand, just that if Graham dies whilst Henry's in prison, Henry can't cash in the trust fund money he set up for him. As Henry's cousin is Abattoir, the lawyer's a bit nervous, but when it's pointed out that without money Henry can't pay the lawyer, the slimy no-good suit-wearing criminal agrees to issue the contract. Across town, Kelvin Mao, a.k.a. Ballistic, is a new mercenary for hire, putting his business cards about town touting for business. He leaves his card with the bartender at Frank's Tavern. Turns out Kelvin is another refugee from Bloodlines. Oh, sorry, Bloodlines. Sorry, fell asleep. Um, Who, like Joe Public... Joe Public, Bloodlines, yeah, um, was bitten by a funny alien and had his skin turned into armour and his strength and speed enhanced. As a former cop, now believed to be dead. <laughs> oh, this, run from the this, this is cliche upon cliche, this, isn't it? Kelvin has to turn money somehow, and after taking all his clothes off and shooting his load, the bartender informs <laughs> us of the abattoir, involves him. Sorry, of the abattoir contract and ballistic takes the case. In an alleyway, Hurley, Surly and Mojo, three ex-members of post-punk, post-grunge band Malevolent Maniacs, hence the bad spelling, earn some extra cash following the disintegration of their band by acting as debt collectors for the Rosselli boys. After beating them up with an axe, they decide they need some real money, and Hurry mentions that he has heard of a big contract put out on abattoir, and they too decide if they can earn that cash. The Batman is also searching for Abattoir after his running with him last issue. He learns that Abattoir has connections in the trafficking business and he decides to check out the warehouse, as do Ballistic and the three wannabe students. Students? And the three wannabe stooges. Ah, uh, I know what the answer's going to be, I suspect, but what did you think of this one, Michael? Ah, uh, it was crap. <laughs> Thank you for that erudite review. Uh, ballistic? <laughs> yes. He's, he's bored, he's... All armor. Yeah. What happened to his... His what? His junk. junk. <laughs> yeah. Um, what happens to the things? Stanley said it was a rock. I'm sure it is. <laughs> in the right circumstances. With the right girls. It is in morons. But... <laughs> anyway, carry on. And, and page five, panel four. Page five, panel four. When the... the, the maniacs yeah. uh, uh, threatening that dude. I honestly don't know what he's scared of. If that were me, I'd be more scared of dying due to laughter. <laughs> they are very much like when you watch an 80s film now, like The Warriors or something, and you see the gangs in that yeah. film, and they're supposedly dressed to be all rough and tough, and actually you're just looking at him going, how gay <laughs> do you look? <laughs> Which nightclub have you just left? And they are supposed to be these terrible criminals and you're just looking at them thinking... (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, I I do agree with you. Uh, Yes. 
wholeheartedly. Um, I I thought one of the most stupid additions to the back costume, arm rockets. <laughs> arm rockets. Is that why they're so implausibly big? Page eighteen, the last panel. Yeah, he has arm rockets. <laughs> Yes, yes, he does have rockets. There's another on his action arms. figure for you. Yes, another action Wait, figure. Squeeze his legs and he shoots rockets. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm really liking these these merchants. Why do we not work for Warner Brothers? <laughs> Coming up with merchandising. Um, I I'll be brutally honest with you. I don't have a blow by blow of this because this was such a bag. Of uh, the scene changes are incredibly jarring. There's no continuity between them at all. Witness the sudden transition between Ga- Batman and Gordon. Gatman. Oh, the ventriloquist was in this issue for a minute. And Gordon back again on page 11. There are perfunctory cameos from Bruce, Alfred and Robin that don't in any way further the story other than to let us know what's going on. Uh, Gordon, yet again, gets a drubbing down from Mayor Kroll, a story beat that's been repeated ad nauseum. Did he make him come back to his house? <laughs> Did he make him just to yell at him, yeah? Probably. Um, for reasons known only to the writer, Doug Mensch decides to make the malevolent maniacs a thinly veiled takeoff of the Three Stooges, but forgets to make them funny. Now, oh, I thought they were annoying. Yeah, but not funny, crucially. Mm. Um, I know the cameos are all to remind readers of Batman that, that, that aren't reading the other books what the characters are up to. But there's no real need to have them here if there's no furthering of the specific plot points, especially as there aren't even footnotes to say, if you want to see what Tim is up to, check out Robin 4. Ballistic is apparently a Republican. Another, I presume, attempt at humour that falls completely flat. The youth speak grows pretty tiresome pretty quickly. It's not completely without merit. I did find it funny that the bartender at Frank's isn't Frank, but because Frank is dead, he goes through the rest of the issue referring to himself as dead Frank, or not dead Frank, isn't it? Which was quite humorous. Um, And I like that Batman now has arm rockets. I, I thought it was past. Um, it's a shame that this is crap because the storyline's a major turning point, and quite a bit of this is in the novel. Well, all the abattoir stuff, none of the Three Stooges and ballistic stuff. Denny O'Neill had the good sense to chop that drivel right out of the book. The issue ends by saying next issue ballistic, which is exactly how the last issue ended. The letters page is all about Batman 500, and there's a series of interesting, well-written pieces that all completely miss the point of the story, and the only really interesting ad is for Green Lantern 51, which is apparently the first appearance of Kyle Rayner. Also, this ad would lead us to believe. Is that true? Issue 51? I think he popped up in 50. Did he? Well, this is this was the... Because this is a first-issue collector's item, it says here, despite being issue 51. Well, it's the first Carl Rayner one. Right, okay. Just like, I suppose, some people say Amazing Fancy 15 is a first issue collectible. Yes, because it's the first appearance of Spider-Man. Yeah, okay. Fur comment. This story continued into Batman 507, and I can barely contain my euphoria. Uh, It came out the 15th of March 1994 with a May 94 cover date. Kelly Jones again did the cover, which is... odd. Mm-hmm. Batman looks like he's stepping out of a broken packing crate, but he's all hunched forward, so his shoulders are kind of, well, hunched, and his arms hang loosely in front of him. He looks like a big gorilla, doesn't he? I, I don't know where they are. It's just orange. Yeah. Bright orange light. <laughs> they were all orange. The fighting in the sun. <laughs> the heart of the sun. There's another action figure. Yeah, sun Batman. Batman. <laughs> um, standing off 
off in the distance in what could be a doorway, but could equally be a window, it's not made terribly clear, is a naked man pointing a gun at him. <laughs> no, really, honestly, that colour... Once you start, it's hard to see. It is, yeah, once that colouring makes it look like the guy has no strides on. <laughs> Putting the balls in ballistic, I presume. <laughs> um, one of the worst covers of the series so far. The story this time is called Ballistic. And does have a slightly different creative team. Mensch still wrote it, but Jim, I like boobs. TM, <laughs> copyright, Michael Bailey. Ballant, penciled, and Frank McLaughlin inked it. Adrian Roy coloured, but Willie Schubert lettered. And O'Neill and Garfinkel edited. Ballistic was created by Mensch and Manley, apparently. I bet good money that that doesn't appear on either man's resumes today. We we created ballistic. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, picking up where we left off with a Mexican standoff between the maniacs, Ballistic and Batman. Ballistic tells Batman the, remote, the reward money for Abattoir is his, but before this can be pursued, the three wankers attack. <laughs> Conveniently finding a petrol canister by some nearby trunks, the three irritating bastards light a match and throw it at Batman and Ballistic. In the resulting melee, the three f***wits get away and don't burn alive. However, both f***tards and Batman and Ballistic have one more lead and head to the Queen of Denial nightclub. The owner of that August establishment once held Abattoir escape Arkham, but despite being in a car and despite going straight from the fire to the nightclub, the three doofuses get there first, even though the three morons seem to be on foot. Go figure. The lead doofus threatens the club owner, Rafe Luxor, with his axe. <laughs> no, a genuine axe, not with his... 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 If he doesn't spill the beans on where Abattoir is, Luxor has no idea and gets an axe through his chest for his troubles, just like the end of The Shining, in many ways. B&B show up and make short work of the three tosspots, carving them up into tiny pieces and wearing their livers like a hat. (laughs) Alas, that doesn't actually happen, but at least they give them a good hiding. Batman finds out from one of you like that, didn't you? Batman finds out from one of the Goober Patrol that they were after Abattoir as well, and they may have inadvertently saved him. The dumbass continues that the contract came from Etchison's lawyer, Winston Bock, and B&B head over there and ask, politely, for a list of Etchison's real estate holdings. They then ask for the reward money which Batman gives to Ballistic, who calls the police to tell them about Bock and the contract. Ballistic says he's leaving town with the money, whilst Batman heads off in the Batmobile after Abattoir. Well, more crap will ensue. Uh, no, I actually think the next issue is a hell of a lot better than this. But no, go on, yeah. what did you think? I just thought it was really, really bad. <laughs> the, all these new Bloodlines characters were really bad, and the dumbass goons were crap, and the brief Robin cameo felt like a storm. <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> All these avatars issues so far. Not all of them. Batman 505's good. Batman 508's good, but mm. I like page two. Jean Paul's armor is clearly now modelled on the Knights Templar, from which he derives his wisdom and lineage. Balan also does a good job with his costume, as seen on page three. I think that's really good. Um, Where he clearly makes it look like armor, which I imagine it is, rather than a regulation superhero costume. He also makes the uh, implausibly spiky gloves of death actually look scurry as opposed to just dumb. Because it would be really funny, wouldn't it, if a fly landed on Jean-Paul's nose and he had to scratch <laughs> his nose. Uh. <laughs> just scratch his face off. <laughs> uh, I actually like Jean-Paul's narration on the first few pages of this. His monologue about guns is quite effective and gives us a legitimate reason why this Batman isn't armed. After all, Bruce Wayne won't use a gun, but there's nothing to say Jean-Paul wouldn't. 
can't use a gun, but he's alright with an arm rocket. Yes, he's alright with an arm rocket. Can't shoot them, but he's allowed to scratch the face off. And laser sightings. And as we'll see in a couple of upcoming issues, he's perfectly fine with shooting mini razor blades at people. <laughs> you sure he's that chopper? Yeah, he's fine with all of that, but guns, oh no. Because guns don't kill people, people kill people. And I can prove that without the use of a gun. Okay, thanks, John Paul. Um, page nine, I love that Batman won't share his lead with Ballistic. But this is immediately undercut on page 10 where Ballistic is travelling in the Batmobile with Batman. Why would Batman take him along if he doesn't want even Robin bugging him? You then cut to a superfluous scene of Robin and the Huntress which serves no purpose in this particular story and is actually from Robin 6 which we'll talk about next week briefly. Uh, pages 6, 9 and 11, the antics of the three losers are getting really, really boring at this point. Either Mooch is making some satirical point here that I'm just not getting or he really needs to knock it off watching Three Stooges repeat. Um, page 13, Balan finally gets to draw some boobs. <laughs> after being denied for almost an entire issue I do wonder if Doug Mensch threw a scene in in a strip club <laughs> just so Jim Ballant would feel at home yeah. <laughs> I do wonder that no, I feel uh, like Ed Beams <laughs> uh, in a comic replete with bad dialogue mostly in the mouths of those god awful and thoroughly irritating Three Stooges knockoffs yo glue your feet Bobsy Twins wins the award for the worst line of the issue Feeb brain came in a very close second, and I did I did scientifically work all that out, you know, right. charts and PowerPoint presentations and graphs and everything as to which was the worst line of this issue because it was it was quite a strongly strongly fought contest. I'll have you know. Uh, page seventeen to say something positive is a really good two-page spread of Batman nailing the Stooges with his bat blades. Hmm, that's a good page. Is it wrong that I wanted Ballistic to shoot them so many times there was nothing left of them? God, I hope these people cut never. Cut the face off ever of one of them and take a again. picture and then go shoot no, them. No, just cut the face off. Just, just for the fun. Uh, page 21, Batman headbutts again. Does he have Scottish lineage, do you think? Bit of the old Glasgow kiss there from uh, the Batman. Um. Despite my ripping that a new one, I did actually think this was a better issue story-wise than the last one, although it's still wheel-spinning. The major thing wrong with this is the three toilet stools. Well, I, I thought the name Lex Luke. I mean, Rafe Luxor was... Uh, Rafe Luxor? Yeah. Why? Because well, I, I, I was wanting to read it as Lex Luthor. Yeah, it was. It was quite a play on that. Um, like the fifth element, and I imagine the Phantom Menace, one character can ruin... A film or a story. Do you remember The Fifth Element? No. Corbin Dallas? Corbin Dallas? Corbin Dallas, as soon as he shows up, I want to hammer nails into each one of his eyes. <laughs> I was enjoying that film till that moron sh- I don't know who he is. I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else and don't care to, but my God! Corbin Dallas? Corbin Dallas? <laughs> Anyway, it's the same here. The three soil samples are just so friggin' irritating with the Stooges stick that wore out its welcome last issue. I just wanted Batman to decapitate them quickly, <laughs> preferably painfully. Go all Gene Paul on their Yeah, go all Gene Paul on their asses. The final straw was page 11, which was an entire page that was a three Stooges routine, which wasn't funny the first 17 times Munch had them do it. I don't know why Munch 
had them be like this, other than he must have thought it was funny. <laughs> he sat there going, oh, people are going to love this. <laughs> God, and it just wasn't. It I'm was, doing the world a favour. It was tiresome. God, I always thought Laurel and Hardy were funnier than the Three Stooges anyway. Um, the art's very nice. Jim Ballant getting the opportunity to show his artistic chops rather than his art tit-ick chops. And the story flowed much better than last time. Gratuitous cameo from Robin notwithstanding. Uh, I like that the letters page has a heated debate about the length of Batman's ears. <laughs> I do love it. Only in comics. Yeah. We have a really heated debate about how long his ears are. <laughs> and just quick round table. Ange, do you prefer Batman's ears long or short? Short. What do you think, Michael? Long. I prefer them to be middling. I don't like them ridiculously long. So there you go. Quick consensus from the people in the room. Well, I like Tim Sale, Kelly Jones, Batman, really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, for an Emily. Long years. Yes, nearly quite long years. Nah, that's just ridiculous. Alright, fair enough. There are a number of ads for Spawn Batman, the DC version, by all the bat writers of the time, Dixon mentioned Grant, with art by Klaus Janssen. On the ad it looks like Spawn is wearing a Union Jack. Okay. I didn't know Spawn was British. Apparently. Apparently, judging by the the flow of his costume. Uh, like I said last issue, I've only read the Miller McFarlane one, so I have no idea if it was any good. There's an ad for the Weird Science TV show. Weird Science did a TV show. And a Star Trek special by Peter David amidst the usual Game Boy and Super NES ads. Sadly, the DC Universe page is a eulogy for Jack Kirby, who died on February 6th, 1994. It was quite a good eulogy. I read the first sentence. And that's it? Well, it, it's hard to, to think what... It's like, if you find it now. Yeah, okay. There it is. Alright. It's hard to, uh, to um, decide where Jack could have made his greatest contribution. I honestly didn't think any of his stuff were any of that good. I thought his characters were quite bland. Jack Kirby? were better in, in the Vertigo stuff, like Sandman was better in Vertigo, Shade was better in Vertigo. I, I thought his art was crap. <laughs> Jack Kirby? Mm-hmm. You are on about Jack Fantastic Kirby. Four. Yeah, Omac. Oh dear God in heaven. Where did we go wrong as parents, Ange? Dicko. <laughs> Angela's just speechless. Well, <laughs> see, I do love Steve Ditko, and I do love Ditko more than Kirby, but you can't, you cannot possibly deny his contribution to the comic book industry. The Hulk, co-creator. Fantastic Four, co-creator. X-Men, co-creator. co-creator. Yeah, but DC Comics are still, mil- your beloved is still milking Kirby concepts for all they're worth. Fourth World... Well, that's that's my problem. Dark with, side. That's something I don't like so much about the new Fifty Two is that they're meant to be doing a reboot, but all they're doing is milking out Jack, Jack Kirby, Kirby stuff. stuff. Mm, all right, fair enough. Oh, we're not a Jack Kirby podcast, so we're not going to get into that. Now. Other than to say, you are very, very wrong. Hello, cat. Am I going to get more hate mail? Our that cat now? has joined us. As soon as people listen to me say those words, that's it. Get yeah. get me the laptop. <laughs> Oh, look at two books tangential to the main story that as such we won't be giving full coverage of but I thought it were worth mentioning as a prelude to our coverage of Night Quest The Search we'll be catch up with what Bruce Wayne has been up to with Justice League Task Force number 5 which shipped on August 31st 1993 the cover has Bruce in his wheelchair claiming Wagons Ho! 
Oh, it's a green arrow, gypsy and bronze tiger. The latter two being characters I know jack all about. There are a number of bats floating around the cover. Despite what the cover credits say, the issue was actually written by Denny O'Neill. However, it was drawn by Sam Veluto and Jeff Albrecht. It was simply called Night's Quest The Search. <clears throat> Bruce arrives at Santa Prisca on the trail of Chandra Kinsolving and Jack Drake, where he is mugged by some pretty whacked-out people. Bronze Tiger shows up, thanks to Bruce's phone call to the Martian Manhunter last issue, and after making short work of the attackers, except the one Bruce lets get away, Bruce takes him to an exclusive hotel. Whilst there, he says a planted a tracker on the attacker, and with Gypsy and Green Arrow, they leave Bruce behind and head off. Chandra and Jack are there, bound, whilst the kidnappers await the arrival of somebody called Benedict Asp. However, they have tired of the visitors and blow up Bruce's hotel. That was pretty much what happened in the issue. Okay. There's a few things about this issue that stood out to me. One, Alfred is completely bald here. Goof, 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 <laughs> yes. That's where the cat just walked over my keyboard. Uh, as opposed to the nice thatch he had in Robin last week. Do you think he had a weave while he was in England? Yeah. Did we mention that last he, time? He, he took some experimental drugs and... <laughs> experimented with something drugs. He turned into Gideon Stargrave for a week. Uh, fair enough. Uh, Selina made the flight out with Bruce, if you recall her nightfall coverage, and has disappeared after arrival. The dialogue here could be played either that Bruce knows she's Catwoman or doesn't, but Alfred certainly doesn't. Chronologically, this takes place straight after Nightfall as Robin is still welcome in the Batcave. O'Neill has a good handle on the Bruce-Alfred dynamic. This is especially evident in the Nightfall novel and it's the relationship that carries the issue. I did like that Bruce isn't allowing himself to spiral into self-pity over what has happened, still intent on helping people. Interesting that Jean-Paul only really cares about himself but here, when we would allow Bruce a little self-obsession, he just gets on with what he's doing. What did you think of Justice League Task Force, Michael? It was good. It was good. <laughs> My ass. I'm not right. I know. <laughs> it's on your iPad, I can't. It isn't, though. I've took it off my iPad. Uh, anyway, next up, Robin 5 came out on the 1st of February 1994 for April 94 and has a cool cover by Tom Grummet and Ray Crising. Robin reaches out of a barred window as cement pours down upon him. Oh. It's an excellent cover. Love it. I thought an elephant had diarrhea. Oh, shit. <laughs> Uh, it's called Last Gasps. It was written by Chuck Dixon with breakdowns by Tom Grummet and finishes by Ray Crising. 2138, Spoiler arrives at the scene of Last Issue's cliffhanger and sees the electrocution and headbanger dumping a ton of cement on an armoured truck they have just dropped in a hole in the ground. 2158, Robin clues in Clue Master as to their predicament. Mm. Did you like that? They're inside the armoured truck, in case you forgot from Last Issue. Clue Master panics. Robin knocks him out to preserve oxygen. He hopes Spoiler saw them and works out where they are. Spoiler, a.k.a. Stephanie Brown, a.k.a. Cluemaster's daughter, is actually following Electrocutioner and Headbanger to see if she can find Robin and the Cluemaster. Oh, bitter irony. Hello, cat. The cat's just butted me. What's, what's all this? Stop eating the microphone! Oh, dear me. Uh... 0029 hours, Cluemaster wakes up and tells Robin that it'll be two days before they return for the booty. Robin takes great delight in telling Cluemaster that his plan was good, but not good enough, as the Federal Reserve stamp holes in all the dollar bills before they ship them out. Some subplots occurs, and at 2.17am, Robin seriously considers killing Cluemaster to conserve her. He banishes the thought from his mind. The cops show up at the electrocutioner's house. I say house. 
The cops show up at the electrocutioner and headbangers digs to try and arrest them, but Spoiler interferes because she needs to know where Robin and Cluemaster are. They all escape and Spoiler follows electrocutioner and headbanger back to the truck. They drill in just as Robin is about to pass out. As headbanger drops down to the truck, Spoiler knocks out electrocutioner and Robin emerges from the truck so pleased to be alive that he plants a huge big-ass kiss on Spoiler's lips. Way to go, Tim. Of course, he blows it straight afterwards. Shotgun Smith shows up, and after a quick call from Robin and the electrocutioner, Headbanger and Cluemaster are taken away. What did you think? Well, I thought those must have been some really bad issues of Batman, because I enjoyed this. <laughs> what, by comparison? Eh? Oh, fair enough. So I, I really enjoyed it, but um, it's also good. I like that Tim thought about killing the Cluemaster mm. so that he could live. I like that. Yeah. I thought it was quite a nice humanising moment that he did consider doing it. Yeah. Because his, his argument being, well, he's a worthless criminal. Mm. Well, you know, if I kill him, nobody will miss him. Um, but our reading order seems to be a bit wrong. Yes. See, in the last issue of Batman, when we see Robin, he's with Huntress. Yes. But that was... That's pertaining to the next, next issue one, of Robin. showcase of yes. well, well, that's because these aren't covered in the Night's Quest reading order that I've got, because the Robin issues... So you just do it one a week. Actually, yeah, I'm just doing one. I didn't want to do two issues of Robin to make it line up, okay. really. Because this isn't really anything to do with Night's Quest. I just really love them. Okay. I just think these are fantastic. Um, Robin's really, really good at maths, isn't he? Yeah. I was really impressed with that. He works out the amount of her they have based on a guess of the dimensions of the truck. Uh, I don't know what kind of breakdowns Grummit does, but the art's as good as ever. I especially loved that all the pages where Robin is stuck in the truck are six panels. Did you notice that? Yes. Every page, it's a six-panel grid, which I really liked. Uh, like you, I did love that he considered killing Cluemaster to save his own neck, although he'd never actually go through with it. Mm. It was a nice little human touch. Let's face it, we'd all consider killing him, wouldn't we? Because, you know, he's a waste of space, isn't he? This was a good claustrophobic little issue. I now have cat butt in my face. What do you want? Do you know if you sniff cat pee, you get high? I don't want to. <laughs> I thought that was... No, it's thingy or koala bear's pee, isn't it? Yes, he's put her all, <laughs> all over his mouth. But God, get off me! <laughs> bah! Are you molting? Stupid cat. Um, all in all, he said, trying to maintain a professional decorum, despite having cat tail in his fan. Now he's sitting on my comic! Uh, the art really helps sell the story and Dixon weaves all the plots together effortlessly and economically. The counting down clock disappeared halfway through the issue. Did you notice that? Yeah. Thankfully, because the cat won't let me move anything else because he sat on my comic books, that about wraps it up. Jeez. You clean yourself though, cat. Next time, we'll be looking at Shadow of the Bat 2627, Detective 674, Batman 508, Robin 6, briefly, I'm getting cat hair out of my mouth. I know I'm a light pussy, but uh, <laughs> this is just too much. Uh, and Justice League Task Force 6, join us, won't you please? Without you, we're just talking to ourselves. <laughs> Say goodnight, Michael. Goodnight, Michael. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sorry about that joke. <laughs> oh, now he goes away. Oh, see you next week. Hey, yes, Robin. Your f is a f bat signal.
You're damn right, we're gonna start the nuclear powered Catmobile and get the out of Curtis Reeves. Let's go! Comics is a The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do production, and all opinions expressed by Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money for this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com, but you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the second name. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion on our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Oh. 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 Oh.